All right, well, we are, uh, again, in the book of First Peter, and we're in chapter 3. Um, I'm going to read the section to us in just a minute, but again, we're, we're in the middle of a, a series called Strangers and Exiles, Strangers uh, and Exiles. And uh, we've, we've kind of gone from uh, being identified as the people of God, being identified as the chosen ones, the ones called out to be God's very own possession, and that by being called out, we aren't, we aren't called to stay in, right? We aren't called to stay in the world, we're called out of the world, and we're called to be strangers and exiles. So we, we identified our identity as strangers and exiles, and now we've turned this corner on Christ as the cornerstone uh, into a section of Scripture that, that is informative to us and uh, uh, ex- explaining how we are now to live. How do we live as strangers and exiles in a world that is not our home? So that, that's where we are. Last week we talked about this, this proclamation, proclaiming the excellencies of, of God and, and through uh, and in Christ about his salvation for us, and we proclaim that through submission. We looked at submission to authorities uh, in government, government, and we looked at submission to like employers and as, as we are servants in those capacities. Today, we move forward to what does it look like in the home uh, with husbands' roles and wives' roles, and I know that's going to be an exciting, exciting topic. And, and for some of you, you're like, okay, here it comes. This is, this is the crazy one we skip. Let's pause or turn it off. We'll come back next week. I don't want you to do that. Uh, listen, as we approach the, the text of the scriptures, we, we must not find ourselves in a place saying, listen, I, I really want what Peter says or what Paul says or what, what God's Holy Spirit is saying through the pages of the book uh, to, to be interpreted my way, right? We, we are not called to make the scriptures fit into our lives the way they are. We are called to make our lives adjust and conform into what the scriptures would say to us. So, that's how we need to move going forward. People that are strangers and exiles do not dictate that the scriptures fit their lives. Strangers and exiles let their lives conform to the scriptures. Okay, so I'm going to pray for us, uh, uh, and then we're going to read the passage of scripture, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 12. Father, thank you for today and the opportunity you've given us to, uh, to look to your word, to be encouraged by it. Lord, I I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive. What does it mean to be a stranger and exile? And especially, God, what does it mean as it pertains uh, to the roles that you've, you've given wives and husbands? So, God, we ask that you would, you would help us and instruct us today. That, God, you would convict us of sin or wrongdoing or, or uh, wrong thinking on this topic. And you'd move us to a place of righteous obedience, faithful submission, and humility before God and before others. We thank you and praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things, like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. From the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned, adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children, when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers 
will not be hindered. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you are called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him speak peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. All right, that's a lot of text we're going to get through today. Uh, and I, I want to remind you about uh, this, this topic of submission. As we go into this topic of submission, there's a few things we need to get ready for and think about and, and, and understand. Uh, and we're going to go back for a little background to 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 through 13. Uh, Peter says this, Dear friends, this is all of us, I urge you as strangers and exiles, right, the ones who have been called out by God to be God's holy and chosen people, the ones who have put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ. He's calling out to those. Hey, listen, your hope is in Jesus. You're a stranger in exile. Abstain then from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. And he says this for all of us. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Now there's a reason for this, this honorable conduct. There's a reason for the submission. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, here's the so that, that they will observe your good works and they will glorify God on the day that he visits. See, there, there is an image that we are putting out there to people as we submit in humble reverence to God, we are showing off the glory of God, the greatness of God, and, and we want people to know who he is. So because you and I have hope in Jesus through our faith in Christ, it should cause in us a humble submission, first and foremost, always to Jesus Christ. But that submission then leads into our relationships in our community. And like, like we saw last week with uh, our government officials, right, in our workplace. And now we look at it in the home and the way we honor and submit in the home so that God is glorified. Submit yourself to every human authority or institution because of the Lord. Why do we do it? Why do we submit? Not because husbands should lord over their wives or wives should be a doormat to their husbands. Not at all. We submit because of the Lord. We're to keep our, on, our, our conduct honorable so that, that people might see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. And listen, this vertical relationship between you and God, between me and God, this vertical relationship with our Lord and with his kingdom as strangers and exiles should be first. And then that relationship should then inform all other relationships. We are submissive for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And his excellencies are proclaimed as we put our hope in him, and as we display his glory through our obedience and submission. And today we see that full force in the battle of the sexes. And the question is, where did that start? How, how did that emerge? And I want to take us back to Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says in Genesis 1, 27, that God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So we see right from the get-go that God has created males and females, and they are different. They are, they are not the same. Our society, our culture so much wants to promote sameness in our culture, that, that, that men and women would be the same, that boys and girls would be the same, that everyone is the same, and they're not the same. God has given us different roles and different abilities and different gifts, but we are equal. God created them both, male and female, but he created them equally in the image of God. It was interesting, even in Genesis chapter 2, 
We see Adam. He has all the animals all around him, and he, and he sees there's no one there in the animals. And who are the animals? Those are the ones that he is subduing and ruling over, right? Those are the ones he's dominating. And over all of creation, there's no one there that's suitable to be a companion with him. He needed a companion. So what did God do? He, he took the bone of Adam and, and out of bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh made the woman to be a suitable companion. And God said that the two would become, what, one flesh. You see, when we look at marriage as this domination thing by a man and this totally subservient thing is for a woman, we get, we've got the wrong idea. That's how Adam treats the rest of creation. But with his wife, they are one flesh. That is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. They are united in that way. The problem is that the battle rages all the more, even so. And we see that happen after the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world and death entered the world. Uh, and the curse was laid upon uh, the serpent and the woman and the man. And here's what God said to the woman in Genesis 3.16. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains and you will bear children with painful effort. But it goes on. We miss this next part because we always think, oh yeah, labor pains is part of the fall. Here's the next part. Your desire will be for your husband. Now this, this desire, it's not like, it, this is a curse. It's not like, oh, you're going to desire your husband. It's going to be so great. This desire is, is actually, this word desire is, is spoken of in, in chapter 4 also of Genesis where, where Cain uh, understood or, and was explained that the desire, his sin's desires wanted to rule over him and control him. So what the curse is saying is that for a woman, your desire is going to be to control your husband. And, yet, and then he goes on to say the next part of the curse, and, and yet he will rule over you. You see the battle that's waged there? For, for women, listen, we, we have a culture where women try, and they, they show this battle all the time. Women try to control men, and men try to dominate women. That's the battle of the sexes. That's the battle that's waged every single day, and we resist against that. So the battle continues, except it's supposed to be different when it comes to the people of God. When it comes to you and it comes to me, uh, as strangers and exiles, uh, we should not be living in the way that the world lives. So we're going to take a closer look at this today. What does it mean to be a stranger in exile and to be a wife? What does it mean to be a stranger in exile and to be a husband? So in the battle of the sexes, number one, we find the wife's responsibility. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And I, I know a lot of you are saying, holy cow, I can't believe there's six verses devoted to the wife. And there's only one verse devoted to the husband. Well, we'll get to that. But, and, and there's still a, a balance here of what is right and what is the role. But what, what we see here, we look at the, the wife's responsibility. We have to understand the culture in which she lived at that time. And Peter was talking to women who were, were almost always treated as property. Women were property there. And, and so when a, when a woman came to faith in Christ... She gave up her allegiance to her biggest, biggest priority or her biggest authority, that was her husband, and she, she put her allegiance in Christ's hands. And now the question was, how do you live? How do you still live? Because that is going to create a conflict. See, coming to Christ creates conflict. And, and listen, it wasn't even for that time. Uh, it, was, it was also going on now. I know many women uh, within our church family, within our community, who are, who are believers, who love Jesus with all their heart, and their husbands do not. And that creates conflict. And the question is, what do we do? And hopefully this will answer some questions today. How do we, how do we live in, the, in light of that? So there was a, a huge burden that women faced. So, so Peter wanted to say more to the women. It was, it was lucky when a woman came to Christ and her, and her husband did too, because now both were encouraged to grow in their faith and, and turn aside from idols and turn aside from pride and, and to love each other and cherish each other and become one flesh as God intended. 
I will say as we get going with the wife's responsibility, I want you to understand something. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you be submissive no matter the cost. If you're in danger, if your children are in danger and harm's way, you need to get out of that situation. You need to seek help. You need to, to speak to one of the pastors at our church. You need to speak to a law enforcement officer. You need to get help and find safety. And then, then we can deal with things from there. But if it's a, just a matter of conflict of interest, a conflict of priorities, we're going to look at that today and see what that means for us. So uh, it's, what's the wife's responsibility? Let's look at this text in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now let's, let's think about that. I, I, it's not just picking on wives here. It says in the same way. So Peter's going back to, listen, so many of you have submitted and submitted and submitted and have you been called to submit. Everyone should submit. He, he, is, he is told everyone should submit. So he's saying in the same way that, that we are to submit to government, in the same way that, that you're to submit to your employer or slaves to your masters, in the same way you submit out of reverence for Christ, out of humility towards Christ because God is your hope, in the way, same way you submit, wives, you submit to your husbands as well. And she said, he says here, submit yourselves to your own husbands. This is, uh, this is really important. It's, it, wives, you aren't called to submit to everybody's husband. You're called to submit to your husband. There's a, a special relationship that God has, has built there in your own household. Submit to your husbands, uh, even if some disobey the word. See, like I said earlier, a lot of these women were coming to faith in Christ, and their husbands were not. So they were then disobe- disobedient to the word of God, to the gospel of their salvation. They did not believe and were not believers. They were not strangers and exiles uh, uh, to the world. They were actually living in the world as citizens. But it says submit. And so there's, now there's some reasons we're going to build on this, and then we're going to work backwards because I think it almost works better going backwards for our, our confidence. So why? We submit so that uh, they may be won. So the husband might be won over without a word by the way they, li- the, uh, they live their lives when they observe your pure and reverent lives. So there's a purity that's, that's coming out. There's a reverence that's coming out. There's a humility that comes out. And, and, and the husband begins to see this and say, what is going on? And actually, this builds up to even verse 15, which we won't get into today, but next week, where it says that we should always be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that we have. So this is preparing. This kind of lifestyle, the submissive humility, reverence towards your husband, is a lifestyle that points people to Jesus. It points people to ask the questions, why Jesus? Give me a reason for the hope that you have, that you're, you're not living in fear. You're not living in anxiety. You're not living on eggshells. You're actually hoping in something that's not even me. And, and for many husbands that are unbelievers, they, they want them to be the idols. They want to be the idol of the family. They want to be lifted up on a pedestal and, and be worshipped. And women who are reverent are respecting their husband and they're pure in their lifestyle, but they're fearing God first. Their hope is in God. So many of these women had unbelieving husbands that would see and they were to set the example. And, and, and went to win them over without a word. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that women should be silent in their marriages. That's not at all. That's, that's not what it's saying here at all. Because we are to help win them over. How, do they, how are they won over? They're won over to the word, which is the gospel of our salvation. So, so one, we, what, it, what it is not, we, the kind of word that we should not use in marriages, women that, that shouldn't be used, is disrespectful, argumentative, resistant, or nagging, right? Proverbs 19, 13 says, A foolish son is his father's ruin, and a wife's nagging is an endless dripping. That will not win your husband over to faith in Christ. So that's how we don't talk. That's how, we, that's how we're not to speak. 
But we obviously know, and women know that, who have come to faith in Christ, that the gospel is the power of God. Romans says, 116 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Ladies, you are not to be silent about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, in it, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So listen, the righteous wife, if, you're, if you have a husband that's an unbeliever, you are the one that's righteous. You are to live by faith in God. Your hope is in God. And you are to stand in and, and speak the word and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ because in it, it is the power of God for salvation, for a righteousness that cannot be achieved outside of Jesus Christ. It's so important that, that our lives line up in a way that, that makes people wonder, why are they submissive? What, who are they submissive to? Who are they revering? Where does this hope come from? And then we see it goes on in verse 3, don't let your beauty. So this is another, another one of those things of reasons how and why to, to promote Christ in your marriage. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles or wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable qualities of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Listen, we, we don't try to win our, our husbands over, right? You don't try to win your husbands over with the outward appearance. I'm just going to dress pretty and that'll give me confidence and, and maybe he'll like me then. Maybe he'll be drawn to me and then if he's drawn to me and there's closeness there, maybe he'll learn about Jesus. No, what you're doing is you're making yourself an idol for your husband instead of shifting his attention away from an idol towards the one that should be worshipped, Jesus Christ. Your security, your anxiety should not be depleted by the way you dress. And, and, I, and I know this by talking to so many women. I, I'm also married. I have a wife. You, you can dress up and you overdress and you, you, you change your hairstyle three times and 15 different styles of earrings and five shoes and which one is the right one. You're trying to pick the right one. That is loaded with anxiety. That's loaded with fear. And what it says is, I won't be of value unless I look a certain way. I won't feel good enough about myself unless I look a certain way. My husband may not appreciate or love me unless I look a certain way. Listen, there's a couple things you have to ask yourself when it comes to that. We have to ask ourselves, who, who are we putting on display? When, when we, and this is general, this is for everybody, men, women, children, it doesn't matter. As we go through our lives, as we live our lives day to day, as we get prepared for the day and go out into the community, who are you trying to put on display? This is a, a problem everywhere. Uh, not even just trying to adorn yourselves beautifully, but even over the top and immodestly and, and what, what hangs out everywhere all through the culture. And what, what men's eyes are drawn to in women. And what it's saying is, look at me. I, I want to feel good about who I am. I'm confident about who I am. And, and ultimately what it does is this. Regardless of your motives, what it does is says, I want to be the one that's on display. And listen, as strangers and exiles, as we're exhorted here in our responsibilities, we're to be different from the world. And we are to put Christ on display. And how do we do that? We do that through through reverence and humility, pure lives, modest lives, 
not letting our outward beauty consist of things like elaborate hairstyles or wearing gold jewelry or, or, or fine clothes. Now listen, it's not a prohibition on that. It, it doesn't mean you can't get your hair done. It doesn't mean you can't have a bracelet. It doesn't mean you can't have a nice shirt. Right? There's no prohibition here. And, and because if there was, here's, here's where we know it, it's true. Uh, we could say hairstyles and jewelry, yeah, we could get rid of that. But is Peter's exhortation to get rid of your clothes too? Not at all, right? We're, we're to adorn ourselves, but what should be the focus when we adorn ourselves? And he goes on, he says, not, not the outward, but rather what is inside the heart. This is what should be attractive to the world. This is what is of value to God. And he says it right here. What is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of greater worth in God's sight. Listen, I know that it's, it's tough, ladies, when you hear submit and, and don't, don't get all fancied up, be some more submissive and modest. When you hear that, you're like, oh, how oppressive is this? Here's what it says. The scriptures are saying as you submit to your husband out of reverence for God, out of a hope in God, and as you adorn yourselves inwardly, not, not just outwardly, but inwardly, these things are valuable to God. You are found to be precious in God's sight. It doesn't devalue you. It, it increases your value. And it increases your value not only towards God, but to God in using you in your husband's life and in others' lives. Why? Because you have this gentle and quiet spirit. What does that mean? Well, uh, we see that in Proverbs 31 as well, this idea uh, of a woman. Uh, in Proverbs 31, 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Right? When we fear the Lord, we have reverence for the Lord. There's a hope that we now have in God. And that hope in God dispels fear and dispels anxieties and and, and this need to, am I good enough? And, and if I only did this, if I try this, and these outward displays. But no, we're going to revere God and find our hope in God. And out of a hope in God, a deep hope in God, that, that can kind of work backwards and build then us into this bold, courageous humility and submission towards others. You see, in Christ, in, with hope in Christ, there's a settled and calm assurance. It goes on, it says, for in the past, so Peter's using an example, how does this work? From the past, holy women, so he didn't say, um, in the past, our culture did this, and this is what you should follow, or right now, our culture is doing this, so follow this. He's not going back to culture as the example. He goes back to women who have feared God, who have found hope in God. It says this, from the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now listen, I I say that and you're like, oh great, now I've got to call my husband Lord. No, this was a term of respect during that time. And it was actually, the, the, it was in Genesis, I think it was chapter 18, where, where God was speaking to Abraham outside the tent and Sarah was inside the tent kind of eavesdropping, right? And God was saying, listen, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You're going to have a son. And Sarah's kind of in the, in the tent chuckling, like, okay, whatever. And Abraham comes in and tells her, and, and okay, okay, my Lord. But she, see, what happened was this. She had a fear of God. She had a respect and a hope in God so that even in the, in the hardest times, even in the ones that didn't make sense, the default in her heart was to submit and be humble towards her husband and to respect her husband. Right? But that only came because she could hope in God, that she feared God, she respected God. So I, I want us to understand how that, that works. We put our hope in God, and that builds bold courage for us to submit. Let me go through just a quick list here of, of what submission isn't and then what submission is. Okay, is that fair? 
what submission isn't. It is not always agreeing on all important matters. It's not always agreeing on all important matters. That's not submission. And, and listen, I, I can prove that because some of these, believer, some of these uh, believers that were married to husbands that weren't believers, I, I guarantee you their husband's priorities were not biblical. We're not Christian. We're not rooted in deep doctrine of faith and trust in God and obedience to God. So there would not be agreement across the board. You don't have to agree all the time. It's also, it's not, submission is not leaving your brain at the altar. Like, okay, I'm going to leave my brain at the altar. I'm not going to be able to think for myself ever again. Listen, Peter gave six verses to you. Six verses for you to think through. And, and this is kind of a, an encouragement. He gave women six verses because he knew that he could handle, that, or they could handle thinking through that. The men he gave one. Because we're kind of simple. And sometimes we're a little stupid. But the women, you, don't leave your brain at the altar. You, you use that reason and that heart to, to attach it to hope in God and then build from there. You can think through, what does it mean to adorn myself? What does it mean to, to submit? What does it mean to revere and respect and live reverent lives? We think through that. You don't just shut up and be silent. Next, it's not avoiding an effort to change or persuade. Your submission to your husband doesn't mean you don't want him to change and grow to love Jesus. We, we should always be ready, in season and out of season, to give a reason for the hope that we have. It is also not putting the will of the husband above the will of Christ. Listen, when that comes up, you have to obey Christ. Why? Because that's where your hope comes from. That's where your allegiance lies. And that allegiance is what informs your submission to your husband. So it always has to be first. It does not mean also getting all your spiritual strength from or through your husband. You are your own person. You are growing in your faith in Jesus Christ. And you can grow apart from him. And it also is not acting in fear. Submitting is not acting in fear. Submitting is not cowering in fear and hiding and, and just waiting for what's next. In fact, you have a hope in God that, that surpasses understanding. And you have a hope in God that informs your confidence, your assurance, your settled, calm, quiet spirit. So submission is, here's what it is, it's God's divine calling for you to joyfully and fearlessly honor and affirm your husband's leadership and to help him carry it out according to your gifts for the sake of the gospel as you hope in God first, as you hope in God first. John Piper says it this way, the aim is to magnify God's superior worth in your marriage by hoping in him through Jesus Christ. And you hope in him as a more precious and more resourceful person than your husband. And by showing that that hope that you have in Christ results in a life that is more husband honoring and husband winning than if he were the idol that he would like to be. So you work backwards from our hope in God to bold, courageous submission. And in doing that, we proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. All right, number two. We got through those six verses. Number two, we're looking at the, the husband's responsibility in the battle of the sexes. We're looking at verse seven. Again, one, one verse for the simple husband, but there's a lot to unpack here. Husbands, in the same way. You, you see what it says there? In the same way. Way, if you go back to uh, the exhortation to, to slaves or to, to, to wives, it said wives in the same way, slaves in the same way. In the same way, what? The same way that we're all called to submit out of reverence for God 
in the same way, husbands in the same way, there's a, it's the same, with the same submissiveness. And see, we don't ever hear that, do we? You never hear, oh yeah, husbands are to be submissive to their wives. Peter is calling them out right here. Husbands, in the same way, with submissiveness in your heart, ready to, to love and cherish the people around you and to, to have conversations and talk with submissiveness of heart. Live with your wives in an understanding way or according to knowledge, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So we're going to break this up a little bit because there's a lot being said here right now. We see this, this call. Husbands, in the same way, right, with submissiveness, live with your wives according to knowledge, with full knowledge in view, showing them honor. Well, that's, that's a lot to say. We see that also in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 30. Uh, Paul exhorts, he says, husbands, love your wives. So how do, how do husbands know, like with full knowledge, and how do they honor? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the deepest way someone could love. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one, uh, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but, here's how he's a love, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Listen, gentlemen, as we, as we want to go, go towards our wives, live with our wives in full knowledge, we have to know what our role is, and that is a role of loving and serving our wives, like Christ loved and served the church. And we want to know how to honor. That is, that is the same way that Jesus honored his church, by caring for and, and providing for the church. That's how we honor. That's how we know how to care for our wives. That's the model we set up. The example is Jesus Christ. Do you want to love, or I'm sorry, do you want to lead your wife? Do you want to lead your household? Then love and serve her and them. Well, it, it has some other things in here to talk about, right? It says, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. This is not only just understanding your responsibility, but understanding her. Listen, each one of our wives is different. They are unique. They are special. They are, they are created in the image of God, uniquely, fearfully, wonderfully made. And your wife is different than my wife. But men, we need to become students of our wives, studying our wives. What makes them tip, tick? What makes them sad? What makes them happy? What, what are their fears? What are their insecurities? What are their strengths? How do they have victory? How do we encourage that in our wives? We need to, to live with them according to knowledge. Not just, okay, they're, they're, my, they're my subservient slave. Now they're, they're here. No, they are my partner. They are my companion. I want to get to know them so companionship will rise, so oneness would rise. We also understand. What do we understand? That we live with them as a weaker partner. I know a lot of you are ready to turn it off again. Oh, I don't want to hear this stuff. I'm not weaker. Listen, this, here's what this means. He's talking about the vessel, the person, the weaker person. Uh, staturally, if you just look genetically speaking, almost across the board, women are, are weaker than men. I believe almost, almost no, if not no, Olympic sport have men competing against women. And I know our day is getting kind of crazy and muddy, and, and it's, it's not right. We are different. And, and so what does it mean when, 
when we are to know with full knowledge that they are a weaker vessel, right? And, and the vessel part is it is the person, the physique. Listen, there are many wives that aren't weaker spiritually. There, there are many wives that aren't weaker emotionally or, or, or with their identity in Christ. They aren't weaker at all. But as far as their physical stature, they're, they're who they are. They, they need more protection. They need more, more coming alongside. They need more support. So that's how we treat the weaker vessel. Uh, the vessel is also, you see this in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, when it talks about the, the weaker vessel or the weaker one. Uh, we have this treasure, this treasure of hope from Jesus Christ in treasures of clay or in, or in jars of clay or in weaker vessels so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. So it's talking about their person, their body, their frailty, right? And, and notice it says weaker, not the weak one, it's the weaker one. What does that indicate to you, husbands? That you're weak too. Well, how do we, how do we live with them according to knowledge as a weaker partner? We serve. We provide. We protect. We lead. We initiate. That's how we help them. And listen, I, I want you to understand this, this is not about um, inferior, inferiority. Uh, when you talk about the division of labor or roles in a job, it's not about inferiority, inferior, inferiority right? It, it's, it's, it's about different roles. You're not inferior. The structure of the family is a division of labor. And, and just because one is subordinate to another doesn't mean they're inferior. God does not call women to be doormats or to be slaves in the way they relate to their husbands any more than he calls husbands to exercise tyranny over their wife. You see, so we fear those things. Wives fear a tyrannical husband, and men fear a, a, a wife that's going to just take control and go for it. And, and so all the while, that age-old battle wages on, the battle of the sexes, to, to control and to dominate. And if we would submit and be humble, we could live in oneness together. Not as the same, but as equal. So we, we know uh, men should know that they are a weaker vessel, but they should also know, and this is very important. Ladies, I hope you hear this. I hope, and, I, and I hope you're not just jabbing your husband in, in the arm and saying, but listen up right now. I hope you hear this and how precious you are to God that he's, he's asked men to treat you in such, such regard. Like we're going to protect and cherish and nourish and, and come alongside and support and encourage and, and inspire and, and have initiative. But it also says here that what else do we know? How do we honor them? We honor our spouses as, in, as a co-heir of the grace of life. As a co-heir of the grace of life. What does that even mean? You, you need to understand this, that even though she may be in most cases uh, have a weaker physical uh, stature and, and that we have different roles, we understand that, she is, through her faith in Jesus Christ, she is a co-heir like you are. She's a co-heir with Christ to the kingdom of God, her father. She is a princess of the king, and she must be treated as an equal companion. This is kind of a checks and balances. We'll see that in a minute, but I want you to understand that that companionship, when we have this, this deep companionship and you treat her as a companion, not just as a subject, right? We don't just subjugate them. We, uh, women, we, we treat them as a companion, and as they're a companion, that leads to unity between the two of you. And unity leads to further and deeper intimacy. And further and deeper intimacy leads to oneness. And we go all the way back to the beginning. 
where Adam had bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh taken out, and that, that he left his mother and father, right? That, that man would leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two would become what? Slave and master? No. The two would become one flesh, companions, relating to one another in the deepest of levels, sharing unity and companionship. Listen, honor for our wife is shaped by our knowledge of her as a weaker vessel and our knowledge of her as a co-heir to the grace of life. Listen, and, and here's the check and balance. If we try to demean her, if we try to demean her and say, you're just a subject, be submissive, we are checked by the fact that she is a co-heir, inheriting everything you're going to inherit through her faith in Christ. She is as precious as you are to her Father in heaven. And if we say there's, there's no differences in our relationship, we try to elevate her and say, hey, you can do everything I can do. You should do everything I should do. You take on the responsibility. In fact, I'm going to sit on the couch with the potato chips and you take care of everything. When we try to elevate her, the other should come into play to check us off also, saying, listen, she can't handle all of that. She shouldn't handle all of that. You were called to do that. So there's a check and balance there. But what does it mean to go on and, and say uh, that your prayers are not hindered? Because it says if we, if we relate this way to our wives, um, if we understand them and show honor, then our prayers will not be hindered. Well, it's later on in our passage today in verse 12. It says, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That's how we righteously act towards God and towards our wives. And when the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. You want your, your prayers to be hindered? Do what is evil. Treat her as a subject or elevate her to, to, to the regard that she's doing your job and your role. And that's not what God has intended at all. In fact, dishonor and disobedience, and this is what happens. When our prayers are hindered, it means there's a block here. There's something going on in our relationship with God. Dishonor and disobedience obstructs our relationship to God, and it hinders our prayers. I love the unity we see in Matthew chapter 18 as well. And Jesus is saying, again, I, I truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about a matter that you pray for, it will be done for you. I, I love the fact that, that this, is, this is showing the support and companionship of two people coming together and saying, let's agree, let's be in unity, let's be companions here and pray together in unity. Unity in prayer is obstructed if there isn't mutual honor. So listen, summing this up, men, you, you can carry, and you should carry, as a Christian husband, the responsibility and the burden of having a superior strength for the sake of protecting and providing for and leading your wife through the threats and changes and challenges of life. All the while, realizing that at your side, in your spouse, is a fellow heir of God, a breathtakingly glorious human being who, Jesus says, will shine like the sun in her Father's kingdom. So listen, gentlemen, the, the exhortation is this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Finally, we come to the end of this chapter or end of this section uh, in our text of uh, verses 8 through 12. And, and we see in this battle of the sexes really what all of our responsibility is. 
And I love this because so often we get so stuck on, oh, men and women, and here's my role. But really, it's for all of us. Honor everyone. Be submissive to one another. And, and we're going to find this now. What is our responsibility, all of our responsibility, in verses 8 through 12? Finally, all of you, all of you, men, women, children, every person who is a stranger in exile, who's been called into God's glorious kingdom through faith in Christ, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing. Why? It goes on. Since you were called for this, you were called for this. Who called you? Jesus did. He called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He called you to be a people for his own possession. He called you to be strangers and exiles, to be uniquely his. You were called for this so that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. Let his lips keep from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil. Let him do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. I want to end with this final encouragement out of Ephesians chapter 5. It's verses 15 through 21. It's an exhortation for, for all of us as Christ followers. It says, pay careful attention then how you walk. Be careful Pay, care, pay careful attention, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. And what does this look like in relationship to one another? Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Remember I said this at the very beginning. What should inform all of this is the hope that we have in Christ. This vertical security we have through a relationship with Jesus Christ informs everything else. Our submitting to one another comes from our reverent fear and hope we have placed in Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what informs, and if you're having trouble submitting to your husband, or if you're having trouble submitting to your wife, and leading your wife, and serving your wife, it's a reverence for God thing that's the problem. It's a proper fear of God, and hope in God that's the problem. And you're basing your, your actions on your insecurities in yourself, which will always be there. But our security should be in the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And our reverence and fear is owed to him. And that's the way we can submit to one another. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much for the word of God. And, and, and as, as sharp as it is, and as, as hard and penetrating as it is, as, as convicting as it is, Lord, we trust it. As strangers and exiles, let, let us be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. Let our lives line up with the scriptures and not try to take the scriptures and line them up with our lives and what we think. We want to be different. God, we want to shine like the stars to a world who desperately needs hope. And God, may our hope in Christ be, God, what leads us into submissive, humble, reverent lives so that people might ask for the reason that the hope that we have within. And that, God, we might proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God 
unto salvation for all who believe. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.